Yep, it's the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast. Here we go. Gonna do it, gonna do it, uh, gonna do it, gonna do it, the damn thing. Get off the stage! Whoa, God, <laughs> dong, remember the gong show? Gong show. How humiliating. It's like you're right in the middle of your act, like, gong, beat it, back job. It's like the back in the vaudeville days when they'd like bring out the hook. Yeah. Like you literally <laughs> yank you off the stage. How humiliating. You're right in the middle of your you're just tapping your little heart out up there. Right. Doing your your arms just the jazz. On the hands. Chattanooga choo choo. Breaks a rib on the way. Oh god. They, they really you. did that. They by hook the way. you kinda weird and they puncture out. <laughs> now I got a, a sucking chest wound. Vodka oh. was tough. <laughs> those were the tough. Wait, when they said get the hook, yeah, those are the breaks, kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Hello. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It won't be that tough for you. We'll make it easy on y'all tonight. Yeah. Welcome to the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. This is Webisode twenty-five, recorded Wednesday, January thirteenth, in the year twenty twenty-one, which just continuously blows my mind uh, that it's twenty twenty-one. And uh, and that we're still still alive. I thought I wasn't gonna make it out of the early <laughs> early nineties. So yeah, you're you're living on uh, bonus, bar, time. bonus time here. Living yeah. on a what's that called? House money. Yeah. So thanks <laughs> so for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, just call him H and M. H and M. Where's H M? That's gonna be my new nickname. Yeah. House money. House money. I kind of like being called house money. I'll go by house money, you guys. Look, you can call, you can call me Flower if you want to. <laughs> Never fear, ladies and gentlemen, the lava lamp is in fact burning brightly in the lab as a beacon for all the lost souls in the world. May they find their way home. And we are about to find our way into a nice little bottle of bourbon, you guys. All right. When I was doing research for the larceny last week, which is was bourbon of the year, uh, this name came up in the list of one of the better bourbons of the year. This is Kentucky Owl's Confiscated Bourbon. I don't know. It's confiscated in 1916. I think it's just called their Confiscated. Um, Coming in at 48.2%, which is 96.4 proof. Nice. So it's hotter. Let's get the the cork pull. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Well, I guess... It's a beautiful label. I'm going to pass it around let you guys see the label. Ryan, mm-hmm. I guess I'll drink to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that with the terrible pun? <laughs> awesome. Look, well, it must be good. You guys... Jeremy already finished. I haven't even. It hasn't even gotten to me yet. Well, let's mm. do a big pour. Ah, there we go. Oh, is that pineapple? No, seriously, I want. Th- I've got some. Um, so definitely give it some nose. I want some some character traits from you guys because this has got a great description online. So this is going to be one I want to do the full thing. I taste something along the lines of a tangerine. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get a little citrus. I, I'm definitely smelling vanilla. It's got a like a heavier vanilla to me. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I haven't even tasted it yet. I've just been giving it the nose. Given it, it's a great smell. It is. Yeah. It's it's not gasoline. No, for such a high proof. Yeah, it's not at all compared to the larceny, for mm-hmm. instance, last week, which was extremely gasoline smelly, but not yeah. necessarily. Which is you know not not a great term, gasoline smelly, but it was. It was very alcohol mm-hmm. smelly. I mean, what's a better term than smelly? <laughs> <laughs> Aromatic. Yeah. Aromatic. It's very smelly. There's a lot going on in the label. It's a beautiful mm. label, right? It looks Gorgeous. like old. It reminds me of. Um, it remi- Wild Westy. Southern Comfort. Yeah, it reminds oh. me of the Southern Comfort label. Am I oh. allowed to say that? So you agree there's a little tangerine there? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely some citrus. citrus. Um, but I, I'm getting a little mint, like I, kind of a menthol y. But it's see- more in the roof of my mouth yeah. taste than. I just took my third sip. I almost got a touch of coffee or chocolate. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot going on, Jer, with this. I think they're gonna. I think the website's gonna have a a, a lot. They do. That's why I wanted to do it because it, it is very elaborately described on the website. So I want to. Uh... Again, this is Kentucky Owl Distillery. It's in Bardstown, which is right outside Louisville. We've talked about it uh, before. There's a lot of great distilling being done in Bardstown, yeah. Kentucky. A little bit about the distillery. Um, Kentucky Owl has been around for a long time, pre-prohibition. What's really cool is it is family-owned still. So the head distiller now... Uh, which I, I, I don't have his name written down. Can you get it's on the bottle, but it's really small. And I know you're old, Joss. I think it's on the front. It's he's got a signature on the front. Anyway, if you can pull his name, it's like Dixon something. Right. Yep. Found, founder C.M. Deadman. Oh, that's founder. Yeah. On the other side is the distiller. <laughs> C.M. Founder. Distilled in Kentucky. Give me this. Oh, uh, wait. Dixon Deadman. Yeah. Dixon Deadman. Ryan, try re- try reading that at a doctor's office. It's I mean, that's small. a small print. So Jesus. anyway, the Deadman family started the distillery, and then along comes Prohibition, and in 1916, the feds came through and confiscated all of their bourbon. And so this is the great-great-grandson of the original distiller, and he is uh, basically this is his homage or whatever to all the bourbon that disappeared during that time in Prohibition. That's why it's called confiscated, because um, and I think you could read it off the bottle. There's a quote and it says like in 1916, my family's entire bourbon. Want me to read it? Yeah. <laughs> In 1916, just before Prohibition, my family's entire whiskey inventory was seized by the federal government, never to be seen again. Confiscated Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey is a tribute to the sma- to the vanished barrels of bourbon and to the opportunities lost. That's pretty rad. It is. It's great. I love that. I love that it's the still family-owned. I think it's a beautiful bottle. I think the label is awesome, and I love the design. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to taste it. Is this your first sip? Yeah, I've been smelling on it. It's delicious. Oh, gosh. Orange, peel, there's zest. Yeah. A little bitterness of the citrus. Definitely some of the coasty graininess. Yeah. Okay. So, let me read what it says on the website. Let's see how we did. Notes of, so, smell, notes of gardenia. Hmm. Banana bread. Wow. We've, we've had I banana, taste banana bread. bread. We've can, had that can, one before. Banana is yeah. one that appears. That's part of the that's, vanilla. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely, now that they say it, I, I can, right. I can it's, see it's, it. It's, especially while you're drinking it, yeah. when, when you start reading these notes, they really start to come out. So notes of gardenia, banana bread, toasty sourdough bread crust, mm-hmm. red apple on the nose. The taste is of graham crackers, mm. citrus, mm-hmm. and graham crackers, again, that's that's toasty graininess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, graham crackers, citrus, we got uh, co- uh, toffee, mm-hmm. which was chocolate. I said, said coffee and chocolate. Yeah, right, so, so toffee. Toffee-ish. Ish. Um, toffee is really, what is toffee? Caramel. Caramel. I mean, it's really burnt sugar is what they mean to say. It's yeah. a fun way of saying burnt sugar. Uh, and muted sweet cinnamon spice balanced with white grape notes and hint of cayenne on the finish. I can see cayenne a little on the finish. Yeah. It's always looking, uh, what's that called? Now I should have gotten it. You can taste right. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. I was looking for that phrase. Oh, because hindsight is 2020. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's a great one. Pick, uh, Whiskey Advocate magazine when I was, again, going through it. And uh, and I was doing the the research on the larceny. This name popped up, and I had never, uh, in recollection, had a Kentucky Owl. So I like it, and I like a high proof bourbon anyway. Yeah, you know I like it well over ninety generally. How much did you have to go into your nest egg? Good question. I think this is a fifty three dollar bottle. What? That is a great deal. Right, right. I mean, let me let me just. Put punch it into the the interwebs here really quick. Nest egg, right? Kentucky, mm-hmm. 
Al Smooth. confiscated. Oh, I'm sorry. It's 114. Oh, well, oh. at least it's uh, we know it's it's worth 100. So it's a 114 dollar bottle. Um, I think it was like in the top 10 whiskeys of the year. It's definitely. I'm it's definitely delicious. getting the spice on the tongue. Yeah. On the finish. Yeah. There's a lingering spice. It's like starts bitter and then goes to spice. Yeah, which is interesting. It's 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 literally kind of like I had a little bit of cayenne pepper or yeah. hot sauce and cinnamon too. It's not, I don't think it's gonna be long before we get a little buzz in the head. Well, at ninety six point whatever four. These are the best. Yeah, I'm. You're picking such great alcohol. Like, none of these, you can even dream about putting a soda, any kind of Coke, soda, ginger. Like, this is a gentleman's right. drink. We've been, neat. we drink most of what we drink on the show neat. 95%. I think one time we didn't. Yeah. Tequila. And again, it's not because you have to. It's because that's the way I prefer to do it, and yeah. so far you when guys have been game. Yeah, and, so. it's, and it, it seems like you can you can break down the taste and you know and the notes. To me, and all it's that more identify well, sure. e- easy to identify sure. the nose. Yeah, and then yeah, I mean, the like eyes. we've yeah, then the eyes and the curvature <laughs> of its buttocks. <laughs> but um, but like we talked about before, especially in these hotter, high proof bourbons, there's always going to be burn, and there's yeah. always going to be an alcoholiness. What was I saying earlier? Smelliness. Yeah. Smelliness. It, but but to that point, this doesn't have that alcoholy smelliness, right? right. Um, I think the the spice at the end is part takes of that away. Proof. Yeah, I mean, is like like because it ramps up to the spice at the very end, it kind of helps burn off. You're you're not you're not tasting any, you know, yeah. higher alcohol. Well, slide it right over here. And, right. uh, You're not going to confiscate that from Josh. Well, right? I am. So that's a good one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and say I like that. Uh, I guess you could say I, a lot of the other. We haven't of... really come up with any kind of scale. Yeah. Yet on the show, and you know how we're rating. We haven't rate any kind of rating system. I just realized. Yeah. Oh, and like it turns out. We haven't had anything where people were like, no, I'm not drinking that anymore. Right. I mean, there's obviously some of the things. I mean, you can look around the office and see some of the bottles that are still lingering on the shelves. Um, and then you can notice that there's other bottles that are no longer here um, because that's the ones that we don't finish on the show. that keep getting, you know, siphoned yeah. off of periodically throughout the week. Um, some I- of the some of the things I'm still seeing on the shelf over there are the Mellow Gold. <laughs> yes. The Proper 12. Yeah. Doesn't get a whole lot of action. I um, believe it's, isn't it, mellow corn? What did I say, mellow gold? Yeah. Yeah, the mellow corn. Right, good, well, good catch, Ryan. Might as well be mellow yellow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> although I've, I've, I've sampled it a time Because you're drinking pee-pee. <laughs> Applejack is another one that we... Yeah, that wasn't a huge to. hit. All right, so we like the the confiscated, the, the uh, Kentucky Owl. I guess you could say the mellow corn is for the birds. Well, that's that's cool. I was hoping you were going to make another owl pun. To I close try out to get, I, 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 and I, I worried I, that you were going there, but then you brought it back with the birds thing. I like it. I don't know who. <laughs> oh no, you can't do that. I don't want to fly off the handle. Yeah. Who do you think would enjoy this? <laughs> What's your favorite band, Jer? Barn. The Who. That's all I can come up with <laughs> for owls. Barn. The barn owls. <laughs> the barn. Something owl. barn. Dumb. Ho- Hooters? Yeah. Hooters. I'm, ca- I'm cutting all the owl shit out. Good. Guess what? It's another special delivery from Coach Baseball. So we had a special delivery from Coach Baseball. And that was awesome because you were sketched again and we had it pre-dinner. So we've already opened our... Our, our special package from Coach Baseball, and we've sampled it. And what we got this week was pepperoni rolls. We got tomorrow's pepperoni rolls from West Virginia. We had tomorrow's pepperoni rolls today? <laughs> we had tomorrow's pepperoni rolls. Did you just say that, Joe? Today. Yeah. Look at that guy. Somebody says the joke, and no one hears him, and he's like, tomorrow's pepperoni rolls today. All right. Right? Uh-huh. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? 
Okay. So it's tomorrow. T O M A R O. Oh, they did a little of that. It's, well, no, it's 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 like an Italian family's last name. That's hey. <laughs> so funny. It is. I thought it literally like it tried to be cute. I'm probably with pronouncing tomorrow. it wrong. It's probably tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. So uh, we, I don't think you're supposed to do accents. Thank you, Coach Baseball. And it's like what? It's like the last three now have been awesome. Yeah. Not at least two. Two. The last two. One, two. What was it? The ramps. Yeah. What did we like? We we liked the ramp jelly and jelly. the manchego. That was good. Right. And then what was the last? Oh, the the pickle things. The corn. Oh yeah, yeah. Cor- you guys like the no? Yeah, you guys like the Kool Aid pickles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I took those home. So uh, those this is these are pepperoni anymore. rolls, and um, so Josh, you went to 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 Penn State. Which isn't too awfully far from from where I went to college at West Virginia University, and um, in West Virginia and in that part of the country, but particularly in West Virginia, pepperoni rolls are a thing. Did you guys have that in in Penn State? Well, I uh, think we did, but it's a combination of I might not have exactly known the definition of a pepperoni roll. Roll, right? You were My thinking- pepperoni roll was. Pepperoni, bread, and like provolone wrapped almost looked like a what's that, what's that, like a spiral. Does that make sense? It looks like a cinnamon bun, like okay, that consistency yeah, yeah. of it. A pinwheel. A pinwheel rolled like this and then baked, and that was what I considered a pepperoni roll. And they were so good, and they were in all the you know places. Any like place you could get like a steak sandwich they had pepperoni rolls but, okay but i don't know if always that was, served hot uh, and always hot but i don't think if this is what a true pepperoni roll is or if it's defined differently by region no this is what a pepperoni roll is i mean if, if in west virginia i mean a pepperoni roll i'm sure it's kind yeah. of semantics i mean anything where you roll pepperoni is a pepperoni roll but in west virginia if you say pepperoni roll, this is the iteration that they're talking about. There's no cheese. There's no sauce. It's not a calzone. It's not a stromboli. And it's not hot. Pepperoni rolls are very, very often eaten at room temperature. And they're everywhere. That's they're blasphemy. At every liquor store. They're at every gas station. Um, so that's why I could tell that your initial reaction to it and what I get quite often when I share pepperoni rolls with my friends from out here uh, is exactly what you said. And what was your reaction? You said a little too much bread, not enough cheese. And I'm like, well, there is no cheese. Because in a traditional West Virginian pepperoni roll, it's pepperoni in white bread. Yeah, but for a long time, everybody also used to shit in outhouses. That doesn't mean I can't take one, dip it in a little mustard, and have a great time. Well, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I'm just telling you, in, in West Virginia, like, and I, it happens all the time. I give one of these to my friends, and all the all the time. Oh, too bready. I get that all the time. Um, or you know, it needs ranch. Or let me heat this thing up. So I heated your guys's up for you. Yeah. So what was your general? Well, it was, I, I it was a... fantastic. I would have just dipped it in some mustard. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a quick question. If if you get that quote all the time. Maybe those people are right. No, no, no. Well, well maybe. No. You you got too bready, not enough cheese all the time was the quote. There's uh, thousands of people in the Philippines that eat a little thing called balut and think it's fantastic. And it's like a <laughs> I've fertilized <seen> <laughs> egg. And I ain't going to touch that thing. And so you're going to tell those people they're wrong? Because uh, I'm not. I'm not. Fair I'm enough. just telling I have, you. I do. Yeah, and I'm not gonna. And, hey, I am gonna eat this, and I'm not really gonna listen to a whole bunch of people yell at me, telling me I can't dip it in mustard. If you want to dip it in mustard, you can. And and I'm <laughs> and I don't think anyone would would say anything to you uh, if you did it. I'm just telling you that in West Virginia, you, people don't do that. Not that they, they, not that probably no one's ever done it. One thing that I do see is people cut open a pepperoni roll and put chili in it. Mm. That's yeah. That no, you want? I mean, I'll listen to that. You want me to subscribe to my newsletter now? Yeah, yeah that's... 
But yeah, traditionally, <clears throat> I mean, pepperoni rolls are everywhere. Like I said, they're at liquor stores, gas stations, and um, <clears throat> it's a West Virginia masubi. If if you th- think of a food that defines West Virginia, I think if you asked. Nine out of ten West Virginians, they would say pepperoni roll. Pepperoni roll, invented in 1927 by Giuseppe Joseph Arguero in Fairmont, West Virginia, and he used to serve him in a place called the Country Club Bakery. Fairmont is very close to Morgantown. We used to drive down there to buy pepperoni rolls. Literally, the place that we got these, tomorrow's, is still there. Today? Today. And you go in there, and it's a bunch of little old Italian ladies making this stuff. Um, and and why they made them, why they, who this guy primarily was selling them to, and why they are kind of traditionally eaten room temperature and not heated up, is because he was making them for miners. And children? they were st- not children. Oh, coal miners. Ah, okay. Maybe probably children. Uh-huh. A lot of yeah, uh-huh. a lot of coal mining children. Brian, actually. that's yeah, funny for sure. <laughs> um. So, uh, and he was because they can stuff them in their pail or, or whatever and take them down. They don't have to be refrigerated and they don't have to be heated because pepperoni is already cured. So it doesn't need to be refrigerated. And the bread itself kind of helps preserve it. And the bread itself, bread has its, its shelf life. You know, you don't refrigerate or refrigerate bread. Right. So. It was a great little thing, and they yeah. and so this guy was slaying them to miners, and there was a lot of not children, but yes, mm. also children that were okay. coal mining, and was killing it because it was easy. Um, very interestingly, uh, the pepperoni roll is very similar to the sausage roll, which was invented by mining communities in the UK. Mm. Um, so uh, when when the mining and uh, railroad industry started to blow up in West Virginia. A lot of Italian immigrants came there, and this guy, <laughs> Giuseppe Arguero, invented the pepperoni roll and started slinging it to the Italian miners, and they started sharing it with their friends, and boom, boom, boom. And now it's a thing. Now yeah. it's like the thing in West Virginia. It almost went away because in 1987, when everybody got all litigating and wanted to start making a bunch more rules, the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture wanted to come in and they wanted to uh, make people that were pepperoni roll manufacturers have to reclassify as meat packing or meat handling, mm. which is way more expensive and there's a whole lot more that, you know, and their argument was we're not dealing with raw meat. We're dealing with yeah. a, a cured process. Cured we're not product. making the pepperoni. We're just handling it. So, but they were like, no, 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 you're handling meat and we're going to, and it was going to shut down these mom and pop little bakery places that were making pepperoni rolls. I remember where I was during the great pepperoni roll wars of 1987. (laughs) Right, exactly. And then luckily, uh, the U.S. Senator of West Virginia at the time, Jay Rockefeller, came to their rescue and came in and was like, you know, well, you, listen you, to the you last shall name. not pass. What was the last name again? Rockefeller <laughs> yeah. carries a little weight. Yeah. <laughs> and boom, same, saved the pepperoni roll. So anyway, there's the pepperoni mean, roll. We almost lost the pepperoni roll. We almost roll? did, right. Wow. Here's the thing, though. What about as, other cured meats? What do you mean? We do, almost do lost we almost, Do we lose a kielbasa? I don't know. All I know is this information about really, literally, all I know in the world right now is this little bit of information about well, the pepperoni roll. That's more information than I had at eight o'clock. Here's the very interesting thing, or maybe not interesting at all, but weird to me is that my mom and dad, both from West Virginia, from a coal mining community, uh, never heard of the pepperoni roll. When I came back from college, I was all like, oh my God, how did you guys never tell me about the pepperoni roll? This thing's amazing because they're great. And like on a college campus, you know, you shove it in your backpack, you're hungover, you can pull it out in class. Or I mean, it's, it's great hangover food because mm-hmm. it sucks up, you know, the it's a l- last little night's... bit of grease and yeah. a little bit of bread. So and I was like, mom, dad, what the hell? You never told me about the pepperoni And they're like, what are you talking about? So it was weird. I don't know why. Because it, it, everybody else you talk to in West Virginia, I'm telling you. Think I, ask Coach Baseball. He'll, he'll their, agree. Their town was part of the anti-Italian. Yeah, they were so you know, racist. <laughs> the anti-Italian That they didn't yeah. mess with West those Virginians Italians. They were because they were Catholics. I, maybe. I mean, who knows back then? They were weird. I'm not even going to get into how but, weird. Yeah. Maybe maybe they were At a least they sausage Irish. roll family. Yeah, maybe. Were you sausage roll? 
So I'm going to say thank you to Coach Baseball because I I love oh, yeah. a pepperoni fantastic. roll. To me, There's it's another little, one out there I might stick in my pocket. It's a little nostalgic. How much is uh, one? Do okay. they sell them individually or do they yeah, sell yeah, them Yeah, yeah, no, the they bunch? sell them like this. Just like that. They're like a, a buck, two bucks, I don't know. And the thing, the best ones are, like this is a, a pretty branded, pretty famous ones. The best ones are in these like out, like far-flung gas stations in the middle of yeah. nowhere that are literally in like a little plastic bag with a twist tie and like someone hand wrote like pepperoni roll on the thing. <laughs> and it was literally someone's gr- I, how many t- oh the, I want the, uh, decided I wanna, I've decided I want to do that because I just realized I said literally right there like three times uh-huh. I'm going to make that a new drinking game for all the lava lampers if you're a, a, a return listener and you're here every week and you listen to the show or, or or you're just now coming aboard and you decide you want to go back and binge listen and you'd like to drink along with us, a good way to get really inebriated is take a sip every time anyone on the show says literally. And uh, I guarantee you you'll literally be shit-faced well, by the end of Well, let's start with that. There's one. Uh, yeah, that can be a new thing. Anytime we catch anybody saying the word, we'll, we'll drink to it. It'll be like we're playing a giant game of asshole. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a I'm a literally guy. Yeah, I mean I I said it, but well, I noticed that I say it a lot, and then I started realizing my six year old daughter is now saying it like every other sentence. <laughs> so it's obviously it's 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 coming in somewhere. So anyway, thanks, Coach Baseball. Thanks, Coach great. Baseball. Thank you, you sir. You, you you hit um hit one out of the park. Hit one out of the park. It was deli- It was delicious. Wow, I can't believe you just now are starting with the baseball puns. What? I can't. <laughs> what do you mean what? I literally said it. In- <laughs> I don't understand it. What? I will no. I, I, so now we, I gotta think. Now I gotta think of that. So we liked the uh, bourbon. Yeah. We liked the pepperoni rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I was really gonna try to do a just amazing segue, but I don't know no. that I'm gonna be able to. <laughs> something, something. Show me the way to the next whiskey bar. No way. Is what I want to say to you guys. Looks like it's going to be another deep dive. What I want to talk about tonight, um, and you know, connected to, uh, you know, Whiskey bar. I dropped a little hint earlier. Um, Mr. Mojo Ryzen. What I want to talk about right now is uh, a conspiracy theory that's currently circulating the internet that I stumbled upon. And I found it very interesting. And so I decided to take the dive. Is is Joss an alien? No. Oh. Yes, but that's not what I want to talk okay. about tonight. And please don't spoil it for Joss. He's doing a great job with the cover up. Other, although I can see the scales. Or that. Oh no, that's his dandruff. Uh huh. <laughs> so are we going to be riders on the storm? Yeah. Exactly. I'd like you I'm guys to on. ride the snake <laughs> west <laughs> as I take you on a journey. Um. Riders on the storm. And I guess. How I want to just, I want to just, I'm just going to just lay it out there. Okay. The elephant in the room. Here's the conspiracy theory, guys. I'm Jim Morrison. No, but damn close. I am the Lizard King. You are the Lizard King. No, you know who the people are saying is the Lizard King? Donald Trump. Almost. I mean, that, it's, no. it's, it, to me, it's, it's as crazy as that almost. Donald Rumsfeld. Rush Limbaugh. Wow. The people, people, yeah, are saying that Jim Morrison is one of these death fakers, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing about death faking and who who some of the other people that are talked about in this. We've all heard stories of people. I mean, the Beatles. People say Paul McCartney. Elvis serves ice cream in Phoenix. Right. People say Paul McCartney died in a car accident, and this guy that we see all the time now is a totally other guy. Blah blah blah. All that stuff, and you can deep dive into all that stuff, kids. If you if you are having trouble sleeping one night, and you want to get yourself into a weird place, start looking into some of that death well, thinking about Paul, Paul McCartney, and uh, start there. Because the one I'm going to give you in tonight, you can follow up on your own too. 
Jim Morrison is Rush Limbaugh. Wow. Okay. Seems, seems like he'd be so much older. Right. Well, part part of what I want to talk about is that. But here's how the whole story kind of – there's a lot more, obviously, to the story. Um, so there's a whole idea, and we've talked a little bit about this on previous shows, uh, the Ergot LSD show. There's this idea of that there's a lot of psyops – and stuff going on in the 60s and that it tied to the hippie culture and there was a lot of ebb and flow back and forth between all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So there is a certain mindset out there that believes the entire 60s and all of that hippie culture, the entire thing, overarchingly, was a gigantic psyop. Mm. And mainly to de-escalate anti-war sentiment, to get the entire young culture to to basically forget about Vietnam and to stop protesting and to kind of trip out and be into drugs and alcohol and and music instead. And they were going to use, you know, culture to do this. And in order to do that, they needed these puppets these Mm -hmm. focal points and one of these people was jim morrison uh proposedly um among other people right and how the story go continues to go i mean it's 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 very interesting and there's a lot of information out here but here's here's how some of these connections are made the entire kind of a big part, let's say, of the uh, music scene in the 60s and that whole drug scene, the LSD scene, all that was going on in L.A., particularly in a place called Laurel Canyon. Mm-hmm. The Which we've discussed before. We've discussed it. The Mamas and the Papas. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a thing on Netflix right now about Laurel Canyon and all the music that came out of there. Um, uh, David Crosby, Jim, The Doors. A lot of people spent time in Laurel Canyon. Well, also in Laurel Canyon, there was uh, this building uh, that housed the Air Force uh, 1,352nd Photographic Corps. And what they did in this building, there's a lot of conjecture about. Mainly, it's known that they made um, movies about World War II that's when when it was established. Propaganda. It films. was propaganda, that kind of stuff, and they would bring actors and directors in to work with because that's why they were based there, because um, they were they were filmic based. So that's there, and oh, another musician that came out of the Laurel Canyon era era is Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa purported to have a lot of very right wing leaning, very. Uh, Anti um, Vietnam sentiments and stuff, purportedly, again. Um, and so there's all these people in Laurel Canyon, and there's also this this military, you know, building. And then there's talk that there's like maybe some creepy CIA black coat guys walking around. And okay, so that there's there's all this talk, and this is all like in hindsight, mm-hmm. right now. Primarily, you're getting a lot of this stuff from, uh, or I am. Um, there's a bunch of theorists out there. There's a, one guy uh, who has recently passed away, or not too awfully recently passed away, David McGowan, who talks a lot about this stuff. Um, he's got a book called Something in the Canyon. Anyway, David McGowan is the guy's name. Um, so... He's talking. He says that you know there's all this stuff going on in Laurel Canyon. Well, there are, we all know that the, the, the music people are there, and that building is there, and the government you know is doing at least the filmic stuff there. So more connection. Jim Morrison and all these guys, a lot of these people that wound up in Laurel Canyon and in this hippie music scene are the children of very high up, very high ranking military personnel, interestingly enough. In fact, Jim Morrison's dad 
George Stephen Morrison was the commander of the U.S. Naval Force during the Gulf of Tonkin, hmm. which happens just before. Well, for those of you who don't know, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was Jim Morrison's father was on the flagship during the Gulf of Tonkin incident, was essentially we faked a naval attack by the Vietnamese, by Vietnamese boats that allowed us to preemptively put boots on the ground in Vietnam without declaring war. And it's very clear now in retrospect that it was bullshit and that we mm -hmm. faked it and that there were radar ghosts and that there wasn't really ships and orchestrated by Jim Morrison's dad. Very interesting. Something I never knew as a guy that was a huge Jim Morrison fan. And I want to make a caveat to all of this stuff that I am a, was a huge Jim Morrison fan from back in the day. And we'll talk more about that as we continue to talk about that. But that's interesting, right? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of other connections with other people um, in that, that whole scene who had high-ranking families in the military. Um, Frank Zappa, uh, Papa John from the Mamas and the Papas. Oh, I uh, thought you meant the pizza guy. Papa John Phillips, sorry. Um, they were all were from had parents that were high ranking military uh people. Um Frank Zappa's wife, um Gail, grew up with Jim Morrison and they played together uh in the in, in the, like the playground together. There's a story about where she hit Jim in the head with a hammer when they were like eight. So these people are all connected. Their parents are all these high-ranking military people, and there's this idea out there that the powers that be, CIA, military complex, all you know, whatever words you want to use, um, were using these children of these people to in this the psyop, this experiment to control through the media, mm -hmm. and and to basically uh, douse the fire of anti-war sentiment. In fact, very interestingly enough, Jim Morrison is quoted at one point saying, whoever controls the media controls the mind. All right? Um, there, yes. Oh, I thought you were, I thought Josh was raising his hand. No. <laughs> um, so all of that is pretty interesting stuff, right? Compelling yeah. stuff. Um, the idea was that, that they were going to hook kids on music and drugs and de-escalate anti-war movement is basically. Are they hooking their own kids on the drugs? Uh, you know what I mean by that? Like if, if all these they're like here, rock Jim, and roller, go I mean, give Jim, to your Jim and Frank Zappa weren't exactly having a diet Dr. Pepper <laughs> and kale salads. They were raging. It, well, I mean, and that's part of what I want to talk about, because what people want to say, conspiracy theorists like this David McGowan guy, is they want to say, if you see pictures of Jim and his dad together when he's when literally his dad's getting ready to leave for the Gulf of Tonkin his, and Jim's saying like bye and kissing him goodbye. There's some black and whites of that. And Jim, you know, is a student at UCLA, clean cut, short hair. And they talk about, um, you know, when he was at UCLA, they called him the pudgy Navy kid. You know, and he's very, very clean cut. And that's what David McGowan says is is interesting how this kid who, you know, McGowan says not no talent, blah, 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 which is all, you know, it's it's that's a subjective because yeah. we're talking about art. Um, I happen to think Jim was very talented. Uh, but anyway, the idea is that what David McGowan saying is a seemingly no talented nobody who looks like he looks in these black and white pictures saying goodbye to his dad all of a sudden reappears in the two years later this full-fledged fully realized rock star yeah. with the, the you know, long hair and the look and all this stuff with a full backing band and everything ready to go and oh my god how miraculously how miraculous that is well as a guy that again it was a big huge Jim Morrison fan and read a lot of his the Jim Morrison biography and uh, no one gets out of here alive and and all that um, Ray Manzarek's book I kind of know how that story truly goes and that you know Manzarek had a bar band and Jim got into drugs and moved to Venice Beach and basically stopped eating and <laughs> just did a bunch of psychedelics and and you know Jim wanted to be realized as a poet 
And that's where I think when I say I think he was a talent, I think Jim was a fantastic poet. And he always wanted to be taken very serious as a poet. Unfortunately, his rock star persona got in the way of that, and he never could because no one took him seriously after that. But Which is why he moved to Paris, which is where he died hmm. in 1971 of, of apparent overdose in his, in his girlfriend's bathtub. And there's some definite mystery surrounding his death. Um, the signature at the bottom of his autopsy report was illegible. Um, his girlfriend told the authorities that he had no family, and that allowed him to be buried uh, immediately. Um, so there is a little bit of mystery surrounding his death, which fuels uh, the fire of these of these theories. Okay. Story, so this story is all, I, I personally, have, knowing the story, I can see these arc. It, it's not a surprise. I don't see Jim just appearing out of nowhere as this fully realized rock star. I, I know the story. I know the transformation that took place. I know he lived on a roof. I mean, you guys know me from in high school. Yeah. I had that necklace and stuff. I did the journey of, like, Venice Beach to France just to mimic that whole, like, I know the story. So I, I know, I, to me, there is no... Appearance it's, out of the dark of this rock star. Well, yeah, and it seems risky that you know some of the topics we've had before the um, sunshine. What is it? The Yellow, eternal sunshine. Uh, or, 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 or orange sunshine. sunshine. Um, <clears throat> you know that documentary and everything. Basically, uh, they were saying all these drugs were opening people's minds and letting them, you know, uh, feel closer to one another, and you know, having that. So they were really taking a chance by saying, hey, we're going to give this to kids and we're going to give this other drugs and they're going to be against, you know, not, not necessarily, they're going to stop fighting against the war unless they were just trying to make you lazy. You know, they're going to, you know, stopping against the war. They're going to, I mean, they had almost go past that. Well, that, that, that was a definite possibility of making it worse. You know, suddenly they could have a bunch of people that didn't agree with anything, not just forgot about it. You know, it became pro- you know, professional protesters, essentially. They could have just created their own worst enemy, but they pushed through and were trying to give them enough to, what, forget about it? Essentially. Well, I mean, to me, it's not, there's no mystery. There's Because there's a lot of precedent mm -hmm. for this. Jim Morrison was an extremely smart guy. He was an artist at heart. And he considered himself a poet. He took himself very seriously. Um, and he modeled himself after a guy named Arthur Rimbaud, who is a very interesting guy. And I'm not going to go too deeply into him. But the coolest thing about Arthur Rimbaud is he basically did all of his writing during a five-year span. And then at the age of 20, he dropped the mic and just walked away. And he basically changed modern literature. I mean, he invented surrealism. I mean, like, the kid was amazing. And he did all his writing between the ages of, like, 16 and 19. And then dropped the mic and walked away. Okay? So, Rimbaud was all about the idea of sacrificing sanity to attain creative genius. Um, again, basically taking that deep dive into excess in order to gain perspective. Which, uh, to my earlier point, um, wasn't a new thing for artists to be doing. Uh... Uh, essentially selling your soul it was you know uh, you see it in Faust you see it in Plato's Phaedrus where Plato said if a man comes to the door of poetry untouched by the madness of the muses believing that technique alone will make him a good poet he and his sane compositions never reach perfection but are utterly eclipsed by the performance of the inspired madman okay that was Plato and I, the reason I'm making these points is because I want to I want to show that it, it is not so miraculous that Jim went through this transformation in this you know brief period of time and reemerged as this rock star, um, because uh, it is something that has been happening in art since the beginning. The the poet um, immersing themselves in the base and the worldly in order to be able to gain perspective and to make themselves that much better of a, a, of a documentarian of man and mankind, which is what poets and, and artists truly are. Um, so anyway, I, I want to read one more uh, quote from Arthur Rimbaud, who was a big, big part of what inspired Jim to become a poet. And remember when Arthur wrote this, he was 17 years old. 
The poet makes himself a seer by a long, gigantic, and rational derangement of all senses, all forms of love, suffering, and madness. He searches himself. He exhausts all poisons in himself and keeps only their quintessences, unspeakable tortures where he needs all his faith, all his superhuman strength, where he becomes among all men the great patient, the great criminal, the one accursed and the supreme scholar, because he reaches the unknown. Since he cultivated his soul rich already more than any man, he reaches the unknown, and when bewildered, he ends by losing the intelligence of his visions, he has seen them. Let him die as he leaps through unheard of and unnameable things. So that's Arthur Rimbaud. I thought Ryan wrote that. Yeah, right? I mean, that's what he's saying. So Rimbaud's basically saying you have to go to these extremes, and he's not the only poet or, or artist to think that. You have to go to these extremes in order to be able to, to get the perspective to see from the other side. Doors of Perception, Algebus Huxley, same kind of idea. Um, so it's not it's not a new concept to go to extremes to be able to reinvent yourself as a poet, which is what I truly believe Jim did in those years when he went to Venice. Right. And then to adorn a persona as as a as an entertainer is also not a new thing. You know, you'll get someone like Kiss or Lady Gaga or Marilyn Manson, you know, to create a persona as an entertainer. I mean, yeah, that's kind of what you do or it's entertainment. So that again, that that's not strange for me. Okay, and I, and I don't mean to lose sight of what we're talking about. The fact that Jim Morrison is Rush Limbaugh. Hmm. Okay, I want to get back to that. So what we've talked about so far is this story of Jim kind of painting this picture, right? Why he could possibly be Rush Limbaugh's because he was already part of this, you know, machine during this during the sixties to to basically uh, to control during through the media, mm-hmm. right? So then the the war ends. They don't need him anymore. And supposedly now he he miraculously dies, okay, in 1971. How old would he have been? He would have been 27. Oh, okay. I thought he was much older. I thought he died. No, he's in, in the 40s. 27 club. Yeah. Uh-huh. He would have been 27 years old, and so boom, so ends the story of Jim Morrison. He's buried in Paris, right? He's buried in yeah. Pierre Lachaise. Uh, yeah, a lot of very cool people buried in that cemetery. Um, so, uh, John Paul Sartre, also buried in that cemetery. Mozart is also buried in that cemetery. No, he's not. No. Did I get that wrong? Yeah, you did. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So that's the story of Jim that was, supposedly no, it was, it was, dies in 1971. It was Mo Sart mm-hmm. okay. that died there. Sorry. Jim Morrison. Rush Limbaugh. Okay. And here's here's how here's here's some just basic info on those guys. Uh, Jim was born in 1943 in Florida, died at age 27. Rush was born in 1951 in like Missouri, I believe. Okay, so then Jim dies in 1971. Interestingly enough, and part of how the conspiracy ties together is 1971 is the first year that Rush gets his first job on the radio. So now what we're meant to believe here is that Jim Morrison, after an extremely successful career as a rock star at 27, gets kind of fairly drastic plastic surgery and then moves to Pittsburgh to become like a like a late night radio talk show host. That's twenty. I got a three. I got a no twenty. Right. So at twenty seven, he moves to Pennsylvania to become a twenty year old talk show host. So there's that. It's not seeming plausible so far. Okay. Right. That's no, tough. the date of births are. Yeah. Tricky. They're eight years. Well, apart. not to mention that when you start to say that one person is another person, it's tough when like those people are actually people. Yeah. Like it's not like Rush Limbaugh appeared in 1971 when he got his first job on the radio. 
Like he, Rush Limbaugh has a very, very famous grandfather named Rush Limbaugh Sr., who was a uh, something. <laughs> meat thermometer? It was a meat thermometer. Uh, let's see. Oh, well, there mean, it is. I yeah, mean, Rush's grandpa was a member of the Missouri uh, House of Representatives, very famous member of the Missouri House of Representatives. So his family has a history. Then Rush is born, you know, plays football in high school, goes on to play at, like, Missouri State or something, and then in 1971 gets his job at the at the radio station. And, um, and yeah. And so, but what people are saying is that what's being done is they're taking these leftists... Right. Mm -hmm. And then they're putting them in these positions of right wing uh, celebrity. But they're the crazy ones Mm -hmm. and they're putting them over here to rock the boat to make Republicans look crazy. It's a ploy. Right. Rush Limbaugh's wild antics are all part of the fact that he's actually Jim Morrison trying to rock the right wing boat. And this, this is the theory, Joss. This is what, and I know I've kind of taken a long way to get here, but this is what I'm, I want, because I want to paint the entire picture, because there is some interesting stuff, especially in that Laurel Canyon, you know, the military family connections, like that's interesting stuff, right? Actually, another interesting thing is the day that Jim Morrison died, his dad was giving the decommissioned speech of the boat that he was on, that he commanded during Gulf of Tonkin. Jim's dying, his dad's decommissioning that boat. Interesting, right? Doesn't mean Jim Morrison's Rush Limbaugh. Right. So I don't know. So that's kind so of the, what so I got. So they're just saying that they... there's a you know, there's a lot of facial stuff, recognition stuff. There's a there's apparently there's this the, the, there's a mole. Hmm. A big part of it is is Jim's got a mole, and then apparently Rush has got a mole. And I gotta tell you, I did a lot of picture searching, and if you Google Rush Limbaugh. Eight out of ten pictures, you don't see no mole. Now, a couple of the pictures of Rush, I have, you see a mole. It looks a little more like a skin cancer or a pimple or something kind of like sore than Jim's kind of like very suave mole. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's they do that on the on the on the interwebs. There's a lot of facial, you know, his teeth look similar. Blah blah blah. Just... Rush has um, apparently, you know, these scars on his. A pretty, you know, substantial scarring on his ears and the side of his face that shows that he's had, you know, major reconstructive surgery, apparently. But you can go back and listen to Rush Limbaugh on the radio. He he actually, his name, he had a different name. Uh, his name was Chris Francis, or I can't think of it right now. Uh, it was Jeff Christie. Rush's first job at WIXZ in McKeesport, Pennsylvania. His online persona was Jeff Christie. From the having a you know a very left leaning person go into the right to make I mean they shit I mean like every sixty to seventy year old band listens to Rush Limbaugh at least in Orange County. Yeah, how much is he really destabilizing anything? No, he's actually probably just banding them together more. What makes see? I, I'm I'm taking this just on the real easy face level. Like, if we know Rush Limbaugh was a person, or is a person with the famous grandfather born eight years later, how can we then think it? it yeah, it's the same person. Well, I mean. What's the biggest... We have DNA. That's where the whole thing kind of falls <laughs> apart for me. Is that, like, Rush is, like, a person. Like, he went... You can see where he, There's pictures of him in his yearbook in high school. Yeah. Meanwhile, Jim is being Jim Morrison. Yeah. He doesn't have time to go pose for Rush's yearbook pick up in... Micotah, Wisconsin, or where the frick they were. Yeah, it, so this seems what, like. What's, the, what's their biggest reason that he there? What's the number one thing? Like, if I look this up on uh, YouTube or like conspiracy theories, like, what's the number one thing 
Is it- that started it? That's what I want to know is where did it come from? I truly think it came from this one guy, David McGowan, and then a couple other people kind of just picked up on it. Yeah. Oh, he kind of looks like him. Grasping at straws. If you like, had a, uh, if everybody that had a doppelganger was that per, also yeah. that person, I mean, it would be wild. Well, I, I don't think they're doppelgangers. They, you know, there's some pictures where they kind of look alike. Yeah. If you if you take the I time to up go- some, they, they are. They they found you can just Google is Rush Limbaugh and Morrison. They have some pictures. There's there's one that is really does they, they really do look alike, but mm-hmm. I mean. It's gotta I'm be not more sure. than that. I need I need more. So and I can't there's you know you know It'd I'm, be amazing. But there's definitely a death faker conspiracy theory, right? A lot of people are claimed to have died fakely. Is that a word? Fakely? Falsely? Falsely is a better Falsely's word. Falsely is a think. better usage. Why would he um why would he have faked his death? To become Rush Limbaugh. It was all part of the plan. Oh, it was all, this was, the the pieces were set in motion well before. Yeah. All right. What if that actually happened? Wouldn't that be the, the boy, we need something to take a, a, a new news story. And again, I'm not casting dispersion on anybody. Um, th- the fact that the 60s, and and some you know military psyopy stuff was overlapping with hippie culture yeah sure that lsd leaking in and out of the labs all that you know but artists will always dabble with those doors of perception and like we talked about or like i talked about on the new year's uh on the new year's episode one of the very very first things that mankind tried to figure out how to do was get fucked up so, it's a very part, a big part of mankind, right? Is getting wasted. And if you you guys didn't maybe listen to that episode, I did it all alone. But um, I did a little deep dive on. Obviously, I had to fill, try to fill an hour by myself. Were you wasted? Um, no, I was drinking beer, oh. and I started to talk about beer. And basically, what I found is that beer drove the development of society. Hmm. Um. And part of that is that uh, mankind, after they basically take care of shelter and food. The hierarchy of needs. The next thing they figure out how to do is how to get drunk. Yeah. And they would start to gather veg and fruit and let it ferment. And they were like, wow, we, we, we like that. And the more we can grow that and get that, let's do that. And it's easier to do that if we band together and boom, that's how society was born. Before they figured out how to make bread out of it, before they figured out how to juice it, milk a cow, they were just all kind of piling it together and letting it ferment. And that was, that's a big part. Sounds delicious. Yeah. So they developed society and started working. And the very first thing they wanted to do when they got off work is have a beer. Have a and loaf I guess of bread. my point is that artists, <clears throat> mankind has been seeking inebriation since the beginning. Yeah. And artists, even more so, as the, you know, the kind of foremost iteration of life to me, because artists are really trying to grasp at the straws of reality and creation. They're trying to describe nature with words, you know, which is what people like uh, the Ode, who wrote Ode to Agree? Keats. Keats struggled so much with trying to grasp at those words to, to be able to describe what he was seeing around him. And then he realized at some point, I words fail. Mm-hmm. The beauty of nature, it's like when you try to take a picture when you're on vacation and you want to take a picture, and at some point you realize there's no way this picture is ever going to be able to explain to people how awesome it yeah. is right here, right now. You know, maybe if I take the time to set up a tripod and I set it and I get the right time of day, maybe I can get a good picture. But to just be able to cap- capture a pic... So I've given up trying to take pictures yeah. when I travel because well, it's like there's no hey look at this and they're yeah. like oh cool it's you standing look, in front of a tree <laughs> so I mean there's a long time ago me and Ambruska did the whole backpack around Europe situation you know and granted these were actual film cameras these weren't digital even yet and 
we got back and our parents were always like, oh, all, all you have pictures of you guys is you guys partying and all the people you hung out with. And I go, yeah, I'm not taking a picture of the Eiffel Tower. You've seen it. Someone's done it. Yeah, right. It's on, on a, a perfect day right? with professional gear. You're, you're not going to beat that. I'm not beating that. So I take a picture of the the fun stuff you did and, you know, the people you were hanging out with and stuff like that. Why not? You know, like, I don't really take pictures of scenery, I guess, you know, or the city. Like, take a picture of the part you enjoyed, but, like, the, the active part in there. See, the people that I could be are still alive, so it wouldn't work. I mean, my whole life I've looked like uh, a combination of Donny Osmond and, like, Peter Eddie Brady Munster. And Eddie Munster. They're all still living, so it's really hard to get that. Eddie Munster's still alive? However. I don't think Eddie Munster's a real person. There's a chance. (laughs) Ryan, is is there a chance Jeremy is John Candy? No. No? I wish. What a dick. You know, I would have taken a yes on that one, Ryan. Thank you very much. Why? I'm the dick? John Candy. Oh, yeah, but you're not old and that fat. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a backhanded compliment. Oh, sorry, sorry. You're not Canadian. So who, give me the booze. Who would Ryan be? Tiger Woods. <laughs> wow. No, I don't think He's so. Tiger Woods after a little slight bleaching. Jesus Christ. He's got the lips. <laughs> wow. Can any of that? Most of the power I exude comes from my lips. Um... So let's get a general consensus. Rush Limbaugh, is he Jim Morrison? I'm going with no. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. I am too. Like, I've heard some conspiracies where you're like, okay, I don't know why they would have done that, but it seems like there's some logical things. I'm not, that one's not even getting started. You know, like it's, I wanted to. In fact, at first, when I when like when I started to see the military connections and some, you know, the Laurel Canyon, there's a little bit there. It started to get a little stretchy there. Is for Rush me. from Laurel Canyon? What's right, his no. ties to Laurel Canyon? Is he a lizard? No, no. Jim, Jim's ties. That's when Jim was being used as a puppet for the man during the 60s psyop when the whole 60s music scene were all a bunch of people that were actually working for the CIA supposedly right interesting yeah that one's got too many holes in it still has the government ever dabbled in yeah. that yeah. sure you gotta I mean, there's think so yeah. there's a lot of people right now that'll tell you the entire hip hop scene is that wow you know that there's the, to what end though um and that the whole uh what's the word i'm looking for what's that scary secret club with all the power that runs everything the girl scouts no 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 the illuminati yeah they're different than the girl scouts right slightly actually the illuminati illuminati probably have a bunch girl of girl scouts. scouts in their pizza parlor's basement is the mm-hmm. i get confused is the right Ill- that was a thing about a thing that was pizza thing yeah what i just did there did you get it i did Pizza Gate. Did you get it? Is the Illuminati the one where the guy dresses up like in black and white in a mask, like a like a Phantom of the Opera mask, and does videos? Yeah, Tom Cruise. That's no, that's that's Eyes Wide Shut. That's anonymous. Anonymous. Oh yeah. They they're a big thing, right? With conspiracy things. Yeah. And there goes. And there it is. All right, hold on. Wait, we gotta. Now, do you think that that's the steam-powered computer burping, or maybe the CIA has tapped the line? I think, I think we just got tapped into. Something happened there. Yeah, is that the subject? See, you don't well, we've, know. We've crossed when you start t- fucking with the subject matter, and again, I don't want to say that I know what I'm talking about. I'm not. We saying, don't want to say it either. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't want to say that I, I I agree or disagree with anything. This is all for entertainment purposes only. Uh, and all we can do is like, kind of give you what our take on it, and that's my take on it. That I don't think it's, I don't think Jim Morrison is Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, I think it's, but maybe that's what they want you to think. Oh, do 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 do. You know, maybe uh, maybe if it was if it's super good, they you know want credit but can't take credit, and if it's super bad, they want credit but they can't take credit. So so I'm gonna do a quick recap tonight. All right. Confiscated bourbon. We really like it. We should probably come up with a rating system on the show. I give it a four. Right? 
It's four a, out of ten. No, four out of four. Five? Four out of four. Yeah. Oh, Are good. you a four? Wait, 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 wait. Are you a four star guy or a five star guy? <laughs> what is the rating system? Some go four stars. I don't some know go who you're talking about, but we really like the Kentucky <laughs> Owl. Probably should come up with a cohesive, you know, kind of rating system. Arthur Rimbaud, pimp of a poet. Check him out. Really like to smoke hashish. Wrote really good poetry. Was in the CIA. Dropped the mic at twenty. Might have been in the CIA. Interestingly enough, his dad was also in the military, fought in the Crimean War. Jim Morrison really liked him. Jim Morrison may have been part of a gigantic military psyop during the 60s. Probably not Rush Limbaugh currently. Yeah. Pepperoni rolls invented by the Italian-Americans in West Virginia. You don't think they're saucy or cheesy enough. Thanks, Coach Baseball. Josh doesn't know what he's talking about. And um, finally, for those uh, that listened to the show last week, we we have the mystery box still uh, here in the lab. Um, and we still want to know what's in it. Put the gun I down. saw you with the box. Who's in the box? Because I envy your normal life. Put the gun down, David. It seems that envy is my sin. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? So uh, we don't have time to get to that this week. I have had um, some input. Uh, I've had some some legal advice, and I've had some voting that has taken place on the website. So um, we're going to give it another week uh, to uh, statute of limitations and to get some more input from you guys to find out what you think um, our rights are uh, as far as this box is concerned and whether or not you think we should open it. Um, if you want to chime in, you can do that at the website websworldwide.com go there and let me know whether you think we should open up the box or you can find us on uh, on Facebook the Jeremy Webisodes podcast and also Instagram and you can also go to Instagram to see a picture of the bottle that we drink every week um, and that can help you identify it on the shelves so uh, that being said um, we'll get back to the box the mystery box maybe we'll, we'll kick off the show with that next week uh, also next week we're hoping to have uh, our conditional use permit hearing here uh, at the building which is very exciting news we've been after that for two years um, so uh, we might be having a special show next week where we are officially kicking off the uh, the the beginning of Webb's Grainworks distillery here uh, if we can actually acquire our conditional use permit so that'll be next week and then and the week after that, we have Pat Keen coming back in with another special guest. That'll be a great show. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, maybe we'll tease that a little more next week because the guest that's coming in is uh, kind of a big deal, and we're, we're very excited about it. So uh, all that being said, thank you so much for being here, ladies and gentlemen. We really, really appreciate it. We look forward to, to spending this time with you every single week, and we look forward to seeing you right here next week on the Jeremy Webisodes Podcast.